John chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse number 15, uh, and we'll go down through verse number 21. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. And so when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh into the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. And then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at land whither they went. I want to speak this morning on the thought, when he sends me into the storm. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, the time together. Lord, may you bless your word. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Um, help us this morning. Gain some understanding, something that will enhance our walk with you and build our relationship. In Jesus' name, and amen. When you look at what's going on here, Jesus has been, uh, as always, he, he's busy. He's never in a hurry, uh, but he's always busy. He's always about his father's business. He's always uh, moving from one meeting or task to the other, unless it's a time when he needs to spend some time apart. Uh, he does that here. He takes some time after uh, a very long several days in which we've seen him uh, engage in miraculous behavior. Uh, they fed the 5,000. You see this. Uh, there's, there's not often uh, a, a story in the Gospel of John that is that correlates with the other three Gospels. For the most part, those three record many of the same events. Uh, John's gospel tends to focus on the deity of Christ and other uh, events. This particular instance is recorded also in Matthew and Mark, uh, though Luke does not record it. Uh, don't confuse this with a time when the storm was so great that he was in the ship with them uh, and the wind tossed the boat and they thought they were going to perish and he stood and calmed the sea. Separate event here. <clears throat> and so if you look at uh, the other Gospels, this is the same event in which Peter comes out and walks on the water, though John doesn't record that, Matthew's Gospel does. Uh, and so, but all of those three, if you follow the chronology of, of what's taking place in the preceding verses, it's right after the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, and so that's what he's done here. He's had the 5,000, he's fed them, uh, there's, he's done miracles, he's, he, they have been in awe of his teaching, uh, but they've also not really gotten the point of the teaching. They've misinterpreted uh, what he's really saying to them. And that's evidenced in the text this morning, and we'll get to that uh, in just a moment. And so there are these people that are here that are hungry for truth. The problem is not that they uh, lack the, the, uh, the desire to learn from him, to, to learn the scripture, to learn truth. Uh, the problem is, is that they're interpreting it by their own desires. You know, how many times do we do that? Uh, a lot of times you, you even in preaching it's done uh, to where we go to the Bible and we read the text and we read it uh, with what we want it to say in mind. And we, we go to the scripture searching to prove the point that we want to prove rather than just reading it as it is and letting it speak truth to us. And uh, so we, we try to be careful not to do that, but it's, it's easy to do. And of course, it's appropriate at times uh, to, to look for a text that, will, that, that proves the point that one scripture gives 
But I never want to go to the Bible with prejudice. I never want to go to the scripture with a preconceived idea of what I want it to say to me. I, I want to go to it with an open heart and let it speak to me uh, and get what Jesus is trying to say. Now, the people here have a great desire to be free from Rome. They have a great desire to be free from that oppression. And they know that Messiah at some point is going to rule and reign on the earth. Uh, but they've missed somehow the, the fact that Messiah must first suffer and pay the sin debt and then be resurrected. Uh, though Jesus is telling them that. They're in essence hearing elements of what he says that they want to hear. They're overemphasizing perhaps the things that they want to hear, which is easy to do. If you're going through a tough time and somebody says something to you that it's easy to cling to the parts that we want to hear and uh, to, to not hear or to quickly forget the things that maybe are a little bit more difficult uh, for us to receive or to understand uh, <clears throat> or that go contrary to the way that we think or what uh, we believe or what we've been taught. Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of God. Really their problem is that uh, they, they seek immediately after to pursue their own will or the will of man rather than the will of God. We see that evidenced in verse 15 when he says, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Uh, and so if you get the idea here, you have uh, 5,000 men plus women and children. They've been here listening to him teach. They've been captivated. They've, they've seen the miracles. They've heard the rumors. The, some of them they've experienced. Some of them they've heard about. But they've seen enough to make everything that they've heard easy for them to believe. Uh, and what their desire is, is, hey, this is Messiah. We're going to take him and make him king. The problem is that, isn't that that was not a... It, it's not that they wanted to do something that wasn't in, in and of itself a good thing. It's something that at some point and in some time in the future will be the will of God. But it wasn't the will of God right then. And so they're, they're missing the part of the message that is, I've got other work to do. What you're looking for and what you're hearing is not uh, exactly what's being said. And, and they are putting priority on man's will over the will of God. Man's timing over the timing of God. And that's an easy thing to do. And it's easy for all of us to do that. It's easy for a pastor to lead the church in that way. It's easy for us to run out and get ahead of God. There are things that, uh, that we want to see happen or that we want to do uh, that, we, that we think will be impactful in reaching people. And it's important that we know, number one, is it God's will? And number two, is it God's timing? Is this what God has for us and is this the right time to enact it? Because doing the right thing at the wrong time is just as ineffectual as doing the wrong thing sometimes. And so that's the, the essence of what's going on here. Now notice that Jesus' response to the crowd at this point is not to stand up and rebuke them. It's simply to depart from them. He's not going to at this point, their, their mind is made up. Their, their idea, their, what they want to do is set. He's not going to persuade them any further. He's been there preaching now for uh, a, a, a good long while. Uh, and so his, his timing or his response is, I'm going to send my disciples on ahead and I'm going to step back. And so he goes up into the mountain to pray. 
the disciples go down to the sea and they get into the boat and they begin uh, to cross back over. And so, uh, again, they're, they're ahead of the will of God. And so he removes himself and the crowd uh, keeps searching and keeps going about their business. Now, in doing this, he gives a sort of an object lesson here uh, and, and several aspects. He doesn't elaborate on it. Uh, if, if you, if you want to choose to think that, that, that this is a little bit over and above, that, that's fine. You can, uh, you know, think of this what you want. But there are some things that I want to point out just about this by way of introduction. In verse number 15, uh, I believe he's, he's giving them an object lesson. He, he withdraws. So what does that say? Well, a couple of thoughts about that. First, he's separating himself, himself from those that are seeking their own will. The crowd wants to make him king. He is the king. But the time is not now. So what are they doing? They're pursuing their own agenda. What's his response to withdrawal? I, I want to just us to be aware that when we pursue our will and our time against the will and the timing of God, that God's response often is to just withdraw. If I'm determined, he'll let me. If I'm determined to think what I want to think, if I'm not open to truth, if I'm not open to the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he is going to let me go down that road. And then when that happens, I'm, I'm in a sense, not in terms of salvation, but in the sense of leadership, fellowship, guidance, I'm separated from God. And what that does is it leads me to a downward spiral. Notice that he says in verse 16, and when the 11 was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea. Uh, and so he, they're, they're going downward. They're spiraling downward. Now, obviously, you're on a hill, you're on a mountainside, the, the water's the sea level. You're going to get down there. Uh, but it just, from a, from a picturesque standpoint, separation from God will always lead me into a downward spiral. They get into the ship and they begin to cross at night. Separation from God leads me to a period intellectually, spiritually of darkness. I, it's hard for me to see God, to hear God, to understand God when I'm in the dark. And so they're, they're in a time, in a place of darkness. And in the midst of all of that, as they, are, or as they are going across, the wind kicks up and now the wind is contrary to them. Listen, when you're going against the will of God, the winds of life are always going to be contrary in the life of a Christian. There's going to be uh, difficulty whenever we try to go a different way than what God uh, is leading us. And that's not to say that the, 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 the way that God sent us is always going to be smooth. Uh, and so, and clearly in the disciples' case, he sent them there. Uh, they're, they're not out of the will of God. The crowd, he, he sent them on ahead uh, and has given this lesson to the crowd. Uh, and they go out and God, Jesus has sent them out into what he knows is going to be a difficult night on the sea. Now it says that they went about 25 or 35 furlongs. A furlong is just under 600 feet. So what you're looking at here is somewhere between two and a half uh, to maybe as far as four miles they've already been going out. And so they're not uh, just a few hundred yards offshore. They're out uh, two to four, two and a half to four miles at sea. Uh, and the wind blows up and the waves begin to beat the boat. Now, they're not expressing here a fear of capsizing like they did at other times, but, but they're, they're having to struggle. They're having to fight the, 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 the elements. And, uh, and so it's important that we notice that Jesus sent them there. 
I think sometimes we get the idea that if, and there are some, there are some denominations that will teach that if you're going through a difficult time that it's because of your sin. That's not biblically accurate. Jesus was not in any way and shape or form sinful or a sinner whenever the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Sometimes testing is necessary. It's what grows us and strengthens us. And what we look at here is that Jesus sent them into a storm. And, and the lesson for us, Christian, is this, is that sometimes the storms in life uh, may be a result of our sin, but sometimes the storms that we go through in life are just the will of God for our life. Because he knows that on the other side of the storm we'll come out with a strength and faith. That we'll come out with a greater trust in him. That we'll come out with that mindset that we've let him minister us to us in our spirit and our heart in a way that we would not have done if it were not for the difficulty or the adversity. Uh, sometimes that may be in the form of, uh, of, a, of a trial. Uh, sometimes it may be in a period of grief. Sometimes it may be in a, uh, a, a long-term disease. Sometimes it may be in the form of a terminal disease. Uh, and certainly all of those things, even in a church as small as ours, are represented amongst us this morning. Uh, there are things that are just difficult. There are burdens that are uh, hard to bear. And if we, we don't have the time this morning to go to Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6, but this same account is, uh, is there. And Matthew records that as he came, uh, that, that, that's when Peter said, they see him and Peter says, bid me come to you if it's you. Now, of course, we know he gets out, he begins to walk, and when he gets his eyes off the Lord, he begins to sink. Uh, Mark tells us that he would have passed by them. So as they're rowing through the sea, he walks, uh, clearly he's not, he knows where he is and he knows where he is in proximity to them. And, and I believe the lesson in that is simply this, that if I'm not paying attention, I'll miss him sometimes whenever he comes near. Because what he's implying and the way that Mark presents it is that Jesus would have just kept walking across the sea on the water and passed by them. But they saw him. And when they saw him, they thought he was a spirit and they were in despair and they, they cried out and he, he responded and then he comes to them uh, and then uh, it doesn't really say that he speaks up to calm the sea like it does in the other times whenever there's a great storm. Uh, but when he's there and he goes through what he goes through with Peter, then uh, in John's case, it says immediately they were at the other shore. It's almost like they just put a power boat jet on the back of the boat and we're just, bam, they were there. Uh, Matthew and Mark don't, uh, don't give us that, that information, at least not in the same way, but just that they came to the other side. And so Jesus is here and he's walking and he's going to let them, and, and what's the lesson there? Well, it's this, that if I'm not paying attention, sometimes he comes close enough for me to see where he's at. But if I don't acknowledge his presence and if I don't respond to him, he'll just keep on going. There are times when he's very close. There are times when we draw near. There are times when we're desperately seeking. They're there. They're fighting this. It's not so desperate that they're, not, that, that they're, in, that they're in despair of life. And so their experience, many of them seamen, especially on this body of water, it seems to be that they're fairly content to be fighting the storm to be rowing and to be dealing with the difficulty without uh, panic. Uh, but here comes the Lord. Uh, and the Lord is the solution to a problem. So he sends them 
uh, into the storm. The problem with storms is that you never really know how they're going to go. Sometimes storms are predictable. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes weather people will think that they are and they end up not being. Uh, we oftentimes uh, will see things predicted and, and it just becomes uh, either far or worse or not nearly as bad as was predicted. Uh, and so a storm is just a, a time of peril uh, and many times it may not be too bad and other times uh, it's bad if it affects you. You know, Harvey was terrible if it affected you. Uh, it, it was uh, just a big rain event if it didn't affect you much. Uh, if you were fortunate enough to not flood, it was a big inconvenience. Uh, if you flooded, it was a lot more devastating than that. Uh, if you went through some of the other storms. I, I remember whenever I was a kid and we, uh, we left Texas and we were living in an apartment in uh, just across the river from St. Louis in Illinois and uh, a tornado came through. Uh, and the, it took the, the whole roof off of the building right behind us. I remember it. It was very loud. It was, it was uh, uh, you know, for kids especially, it was pretty terrifying. Uh, whenever all the storm was over, the roof of the building right behind us was completely lifted off and laid out in between the buildings. Didn't really do any damage to our building or the other buildings around. It didn't really look like it did much. It was almost like if it was the lid off of an old barn and a toy set whenever I was a kid. That the, the lid just was taken off and put upside down and just laid there. Uh, and if, if, if it would have been possible, it looked like you could have just kind of picked it up and put it back on and everything would have been okay. Uh, sometimes storms are destroy everything. You, when you enter a storm, you don't really know what you're in for. When you're going through a storm of life, we really, we, we can think that we know, we can predict, sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, but it's a dangerous time. Tone it to consider when he sends us into the storm, first of all, the possibility of the ferocity of the storm. It's going to be different. Not all of them are the same. Not all times of, of, of uh, testing our faith or growing us are going to be the same. Not all are going to be uh, as, as difficult or severe as others. Uh, but I, just a couple of observations about the ferocity of the storm. First of all, I would say that even predicted storms are unpredictable. Even predicted storms are unpredictable. I, uh, uh, I, I remember living in Arkansas when Katrina happened. Miss Katrina remembers Katrina because she lived in New Orleans at the time that it came through. And uh, it's, it's people that live through those things and live through those experiences will never forget them. Why? Because in that particular storm, it far exceeded everything that was predicted about it. Uh, and so we could go down a long list of, and many of us have memories, uh, depending on where you've lived and where you've been, of types of storms. My wife and I, about four and a half years ago for our, our, our anniversary one year, we went home uh, for her to Puerto Rico and we were walking and it was, uh, you know, several years or at least a few years after Maria and we're driving through her hometown, Hurricane Maria, uh, and, and still she had her brothers, some of her brothers didn't have power for seven or eight months afterward. There were still parts in the southwest corner of the island that's less populated that, that even three years later didn't have power, at least not consistently. Uh, and so we were driving through her hometown, which is not a major city, but it's also not uh, a small town of just a few hundred people. 
uh, it's, it's several thousand, probably about 40 or 50,000. There were still traffic lights in her town, her hometown, that were not operating, functioning three years later. We even in the tourist area in Old San Juan, which is its own island, and the old city there, and we uh, walked around by the old city gate. When I say the old city gate, I'm talking about uh, like in the 1500s it was built. Uh, it's where at the time when the wall went all the way around the city uh, and the ships would come in, the old sailing vessels, that's where they would unload. Uh, and it was the only entrance into the city. And you came through the forts and, and by the forts and into the harbor. And uh, still, three or four years later, there are large sections of wall. Uh, there's a really wide sidewalk. Uh, and then there's a very pretty decorative wall over the harbor just to kind of keep people from falling out into the harbor. There were still large sections of it that were just orange and white plastic barriers because they had not yet repaired uh, three or four years later. And this is the, the height of the tourist area. This is where when you get off the cruise ships that you would walk and take a walk around the outer perimeter of the city uh, out to the front of the fort into the open ocean. And so... Uh, it, it was very destructive. It far exceeded what was expected. It was uh, not just damaging, but there were long-lasting effects. And sometimes storms in life are unpredictable that way. And sometimes I think we go into times and we look and we think, oh, I've got this. This isn't too big of a deal. And if we, we don't realize that as we're fighting the battle ourselves, the Lord is walking right there waiting for us to acknowledge Him and to make Him a part of the uh, of the solution. Uh, even predicted storms are unpredictable. Uh, to know and experience are two completely different things. There are things that we hear and somebody will relate to us something that we've been through something similar. And our first response generally is, yeah, I've been through that too. I, I understand what you're talking about. I can relate to that. But it's different when you're actually going through it. It's different when it's more than just a memory. I want you to notice, secondly, their fear in the storm. In verse 18, we see, And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. And so it's unpredictable. In verse 19, And so when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh into the ship, and they were afraid. You should have noticed that fear comes in the storm. The fear in the storm. It, it's not unnatural to fear in times of difficulty, in times of uncertainty, in times when we don't really know what the outcome is going to be or what God is trying to uh, do or accomplish. Uh, what is that? What is the, the fear? The, the fear is a fear of uncertainty. Just, we're uncertain. We don't know how it's going to come out. We know what the doctor may say. We know what may come out. Uh, my, uh, my sons are married to sisters, and so they share father-in-law, mother-in-law, uh, and they're headed up, uh, and he's a missionary in southwest Canada, and they're going up, all of them, to uh, visit here in about a week and a half or so, um, and so he's, he's got a form of, of lymphoma, uh, and it's not curable, and so whenever he, the doctors found it a few years ago, and they treated it, and it went into remission, uh, he knew at some point that it would flare back up, but he did not know when or where. His father has had the same form of cancer for probably 20 or 25 years. And whenever it flares up, he goes through the treatment and goes through all of the things. But it's always a period of uncertainty. At some point, it will affect 
uh, a part of the body or it will go someplace to where uh, it, it will not respond any longer to the treatment. At this point in time, uh, his has flared back up and he's beginning the process of going through all the treatments and dealing with ministry and uh, all of those types of things. And there is a, a, a reasonable and, uh, and understandable amount of the fear of the uncertainty of what the outcome is going to be. Listen, whether it is a physical ailment or it's a financial problem or uh, it's some other type, maybe a work issue, uh, when trials come, uh, there's a fear that's associated with the uncertainty of the outcome. What's their solution? Their solution is walking by. And so, but understand this morning that when you're in a time of uncertainty, maybe it's a family disaster, emergency problem, uh, maybe it's a time of betrayal, maybe it's a time of deep hurt, uh, it is the, the, the natural to have a fear in that storm, to not know how it's going to turn out. There also we see here the fear of the unexplainable. They could not explain what they saw or what they thought they saw approaching on the water. And you stop and you think about it. You're two and a half to three, four miles out to sea and you're rowing in this wind that's blowing against you and you see what you think is a man walking but you realize you're on the sea. What you think think that you see, in fact, what you become certain that you can see defies a reasonable explanation. There is a fear of what you can't explain. They had no explanation other than to think that it's some type of a, of a spirit or a ghost, uh, the way that we would think of it in, in terms of uh, they, they, the, the thought that this is Jesus did not enter. And finally they cried out and he responded and they recognized the voice and they noticed and recognized uh, his form as he, uh, as he came in. So what is it? It's the fear of the unexplainable. Listen, Christian, it is not unusual or unreasonable for us to have some realm or some level of doubt or uncertainty or fear when we can't explain What's going on in our life? Why am I sick? Why is someone I love sick? Why uh, am I losing my job? Why have I got to deal with this? Why do I have this problem or this uh, health problem or uh, this other type of issue that I've got going on? And it's just, we, we want an explanation. I want to know, Lord, if I'm going through this because of my sin, I want to know because I want to confess it so I can make it right so this problem goes away and so that my fellowship's restored with you. We want to be able to explain it. If we uh, get the bad news from the doctor, we want to explain why, what did I do to put myself in this situation? Because somehow just knowing that this is why brings a level of comfort, but not everything's explainable. Sometimes God just selects you, selects me to go through a period of difficulty so that he can meet us in the storm, so that he can bring us through the storm, so that he can be glorified in the storm, so that our relationship with him and our trust in him is strengthened and developed, and so that our testimony can speak to others that are going through times that may bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, or may keep them from giving up on the faith if they know him and just, just going away. Uh, it's the fear in the storm. Thirdly, I want you to notice the face of the storm. <coughs> in verse number 19, or excuse me, verse number 20. 
But he saith unto them, it is I. Be not afraid. That's all. It, he reveals himself to them. He's approaching. He makes a revelation. Now, we get from Matthew that Peter's there and his Lord, if it is you, bid me that I come to you. And he does. We know how that goes. It goes well for a few steps and then it ends up not going so well. And then Jesus is there to lift him out and everything's fine. Uh, but the reality is, is that his face is in the storm. If you're going through a trial this morning, if you're going through a storm this morning, if you're going through uh, things that you don't understand and that you can't explain and you, uh, you can't put a finger on why is this happening to me, uh, don't blame God. Don't get angry at God. Just recognize that he's walking by you in the storm waiting for you to recognize him and to call out to him and to lean upon him and to let him come close to you. He is the face in the storm. There, he, he's there. You're never there alone. You may feel alone. You may feel isolated. You may feel like no one else understands, but he does. A couple of thoughts about this. Number one, to whom do I turn in the storm? Who do I turn to in the storm? When the storm comes, do you turn to yourself? Do you turn to a doctor? Do you turn to a loved one? Do you turn to uh, your pastor? Do you turn to a Sunday school teacher? Do you turn to someone else that's mentored you in your faith? And I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong or bad. I'm saying that the first and primary face that I should turn to is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've got a physical ailment this morning, certainly you should go to the doctor and let the doctors do what can be done medically. Not, I'm not advocating this morning that we don't use and take advantage of the common sense advances uh, in medicine that God has given us the wisdom uh, to develop. And it, it's foolish to say, uh, well, God's just going to take care of this. I'm not going to a doctor or I'm not going to get any uh, take or whatever path you choose, whether it's natural or whether it's traditional medicine. Uh, if there's wisdom that God has given man, that man has gained over the years, he gave us that wisdom to be used. And so as we let him lead us and guide us and direct us, we should, we should turn to those things. We shouldn't be uh, a people that just say, well, you know what? I'm going to test God and see, uh, you know, I know I've got cancer, but I'm not going to see if there's anything that can be done about it. I'm just going to get some answers. Get, let, let things happen that need to happen. I'm, and listen, you do what God leads you to do, but don't just ignorantly, foolishly say, you know, I'm in this problem, and so the Lord is here, and so uh, I'm, I'm going to ignore all of the things that God has given to us and all the tools that he's made available to us, uh, and I'm just going to put him to the test. Don't tempt God. Follow the course. Follow his leadership. Let him guide you. Let him lead you, uh, and trust him in the midst of it. Who do I turn to in the storm? Should I go to other Christians that have been through something? Certainly there's value in that. But don't neglect to go first to the Lord. Take advantage of the relationships, but make sure that the first call is to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that's walking on the water in the storm. He's the one that's coming to meet us where we are. He's the one that can solve the problem. He's the one that can give us strength to endure the problem. And he's the one that's led us there, that wants to lead us through, that wants to teach us, grow us, and develop in the midst thereof. And if he can use a friend or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or 
uh, someone that I, uh, a family member within the church to help me get through that. Praise God for that. But don't leave him out of the, of the process. Who am I turning to? And upon whom am I denying, relying? Who, are, who do I rely upon? I think so often, if we'll be honest with ourselves, is that we, we rely upon self. We're, we are, uh, I'm certainly this way, uh, to where I, I, I just, I don't mean to be this way, but oftentimes the way that things just kind of practically work themselves out of my life, uh, as though I know it's not the right response, if I don't, if I don't catch myself, my natural response without thought is, is that I want to take care of as much of it as I can, uh, and, then I'll, and then I'll go to the Lord for, to help with what I can't solve. That's not the way that we should go about it. Uh, I'm, 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 not, I'm not generally the type of person that if I've got a problem that I can solve on my own, I'm going to bother someone to come and solve my problem. I'm going to try to resolve it myself before I call for help. Uh, for example, if I've got uh, some kind of a mechanical problem, I want to try to fix it the best that I can and figure it out myself before I bother someone else with it. Or if I have a construction problem or if I have any other thing, my, my first instinct is I want to do what I can. I don't want to be a bother. And sometimes that carries over into our spiritual life without us even realizing it. Well, I don't want to be a bother to the Lord. I don't want to be a burden to the Lord. I don't, I don't want to make him have to go out of his way. But that's not the relationship that he wants with us. You know, I can be somebody that is a burden to other believers or a family member, but I could never be a burden to the Lord. He's the one that's got the answers. The, the reality is, who, who is it that I'm relying on? Am I relying on my own ability to solve the issue? Or am I relying upon my Savior? Listen, I can't rely upon myself to be saved. I can't rely upon myself to stay saved. I can't rely upon myself to please God. I can't rely upon myself to do the right thing. I can't rely upon myself to do anything that's worthwhile. But I can rely upon Him to do it in me, to do it through me. I can rely upon Him uh, to walk and to, to reign in my heart. I can rely upon him to lead me uh, where I need to go. So we've seen the ferocity of the storm, their fear in the storm, the face of the storm, and then consider lastly the fellowship in the storm. There's a fellowship here with the Lord Jesus Christ that they experience in the storm that they never would have experienced on the shore. They never could have experienced what he did for them had they not been in this situation. I want you to consider, first of all, that Jesus' heart was toward them. Notice in verse 21, he says, Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at land whither they went. They willingly received him. He came close to them. Now, granted, Mark says that he would have kept going. That doesn't mean that he wanted to keep going. What it means is that he went close enough to be noticed, but not close enough to force himself upon them. Certainly, if he would have just walked up to the side of the boat, the back of the boat, the front of the boat, they would have been rude or felt obligated to say, certainly, Lord, get in the boat. The Lord never 
imposes himself upon us. He will convict me when I'm in sin. He'll show himself and draw me to him if I'm searching. But he's not going to force himself on me. Listen, Satan will force himself on you all day long. He'll take full advantage and he will uh, try to force his way in as much as possible, as much as he's allowed to. The Lord doesn't work that way. What does he do? They're in the storm. He's walking close enough by to be noticed. But far enough away that if they weren't looking, searching, they would have just let him pass by. In other words, he's there. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, if you're interested, I'm available. And he'll come to us in our times of need and he'll say, I'm, I'm here for you. My heart is towards you. But I only want to be here if you want me to be here. I, I, I only want to intervene if you want me to intervene. I, I want to comfort you, but only if you will accept my comfort. And sometimes it's hard for us to kind of understand that, I think. I think intellectually we get it, but practically sometimes it's a struggle. What we're, what we're seeing from him is that his heart was toward them. While they were in the storm, uh, it's been said that his eye had seen them, his thoughts had surrounded them, and his heart had gone out to them. He wanted to help. Listen, my friends, this morning, if you're going through a tough time, he wants to help you. If you're here and you feel the Holy Spirit drawing you, convicting you about your sin, you're uncertain about whether or not you will go to heaven or spend an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire, if you don't know that for sure, his heart is towards you. He's done everything that's necessary, everything that's possible to, to make salvation available to us. Not only has he made the atonement, not only has he paid the price for our sin on our behalf, He's written it in a book so that we have access to the knowledge. And he puts people in front of us to proclaim the truth. And he puts written segments of scripture out all through the culture. And he puts it in people as Jesus shows himself in the lives of people. You're, some of you are here this morning because you could see God did something in the life of someone that you know and they invited you and what you experienced or saw God do in their life was powerful enough to make you desire that you wanted to come here and see for yourself. It has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with the structure of the service. It has nothing to do with the selection of the songs or even the specifics of the message that's preached today. What it has to do is, is that you know somebody that God made an imprint on their life and it got your attention and you want to find out for yourself what is it that God did in their life because I need what God did. And what I'm saying to you is this, he's right here, his heart is towards you. He's, he's reaching out to you. He's walking by. Will you notice? Will you respond? Will you call out to him? Jesus' heart was toward them. Not only was his heart toward them, but they willingly received him. They willingly received him. He didn't have to coax them. <clears throat> he didn't say, hey, if you guys will slow down for a minute and let me catch up, I'll get in the boat and I'll stop the waves. Or I'll, I'll, I'll put 
a jet engine on the back of this. I'll explain to you what that is after we get there because they had never seen any type of an engine other than an oar or a sail. Uh, then, uh, then uh, you know, then, then don't try to understand it. We're just going to, like that, we're going to be on the other side. He didn't get into all that. He just said, my heart's towards you. They willingly received him. My friends, this morning what we need, whether it's the need for Christ as Savior, whether it's the need uh, of letting the Holy Spirit lead and guide in our life, or the Holy Spirit to comfort us in our grief, uh, or to encourage us in our weakness, whatever it is that you're going through this morning, will you willingly receive him? Will I willingly let God be God in my life? Will I willingly let the word of God come alive to me uh, as I read it and learn it and study it? They willingly received him. Uh, understand this morning that the Lord never violates our free will. He never forces the issue. Not only that, the Lord never forces himself. We must choose him. Who will you choose this morning? It's past Ram in a storm. Who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the wind or are you going to choose the Savior? Are, are you going to choose the waves or are you going to choose the Savior? Uh, are you going to choose the darkness or are you going to choose the Savior? The result of the storm ended up being is he, he gets them across. <coughs> They're, I don't know how else they could have been but in all. And you stop and you consider. They just watched him feed the 5,000. They just saw him walking on the water. They just saw him get them right. How could you get out of the boat that morning and not be in any other? The, the only word that I could use to express is just awe. Wow. What I just saw, what I just experienced, what I just felt. Wow. I, words can't even explain. Words can't cause me to comprehend I choose him. They are not done. He's about to give the great discourse on the bread of life. He's about to enter into the final week of ministry. They've been watching this now for some time. But there's fellowship in that storm. My friends, this morning, if you're going through a tough time, what the Lord Jesus is longing for is sweet fellowship with you. He wants to come beside you. Say, Pastor, is he going to alleviate it? Well, it may not be time for the storm to pass yet. But it will pass. It, it may not. Well, Pastor, what if I have a, a terminal disease this morning? Well, you're going to be in the presence soon of the great physician and everything will be new. There won't be any more pain. There won't be any more sadness. There won't be any more recollection even of the things that we've suffered in this life. At some point, all that's going to be wiped away and we'll just be in the joy of the Lord. It may not always resolve the way that I think it's going to resolve or the way that I want it to resolve, but it all always resolves to the will of God. Well, I trust him. The result of the storm was that their faith was strengthened because they experienced his power and his presence in the storm. How do I, how do I really grow in the Christian life? Experience his presence in your life. Sometimes we are not put into a position where we're willing to truly experience him that way until it's in the storm. Until we're in a time where we desperately need him. Experiencing his power, his presence. You should have noticed in Mark chapter 6 and verse 33 as we close this morning, he says this. 
Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. What is it? What is the response that God wants from me when he meets me in the storm? When I let him into my heart? When I, when I put my trust in him? When he is guiding me through there? If I'm in the boat with him. If I'm in the storm with him. If I'm in my heartache or my grief or my infirmity with him. When it's all said and done, I'm going to come out and say of a truth of a truth. He is my Savior and my God. Why? Because the relationship is real and His power is real and His love for me is unmistakable and undeniable. He's passing by you this morning. Will you let Him pass by? Or will you call out to Him and invite Him into the boat? So Pastor my life's smooth sailing right now. Praise the Lord. Enjoy it while it lasts. Because the storm's coming. I mean, we haven't seen much rain all summer. But at some point by the end of the year, there's going to be some rain. And in all likelihood, it's going to be more than we want. And probably a lot of wind that we don't really want or think that we need either. It may even have a name associated with it. When all these domes of high pressure move off, we're getting into that time of the year. The next two months, it, who knows what will happen. Uh, Pastor, you think we'll get some rain? At some point, it will rain again. Storm's coming. How do you know? Because we're still breathing. And it's part of life. But there is a Savior in the midst of your storm. And His heart is towards you. And He loves you. And He's close by. And he's waiting for an invitation to get in the boat with you.